Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. It's important to establish that culture of winning, the importance of winning, and doing things the right way. So for us, it's just to keep building upon that. Throws it. There he is. Watkins, and it's a big man touchdown in Miami. Welcome in, Finns fans, to another episode of Fin It to Win It, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and Bet Online. I'm Riley. He's Mason. We hope everybody had a great Father's Day weekend. Guys, we have a jam-packed show for you here tonight. Um, we're going to be chatting about Chan Gailey and what fans can expect from a Chan Gailey-led offense for the Miami Dolphins this season. And we have a special interview that we're going to bring you guys. Yeah, Riley, we got to interview James McKnight. It was a fantastic discussion with him. Former Miami Dolphins wide receiver, played for them in the early 2000s, so he went to the playoffs with the Dolphins. He got to work under Chan Gailey when he was the offensive coordinator for Miami, and he also played for him when he was the head coach and offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. So it was really cool to hear his perspective on some things, to talk about the days when he played for Miami, and it gives us a good sense of what we can expect to see from the Dolphins' offense this year under Chan Gailey. Yeah, so we're going to be chatting about that tonight. We're going to be previewing, breaking down the linebacking unit for the Miami Dolphins in our next episode. And then we're having another Fins Up Friday because, hey, the first one was so such a success. It was so great interacting with the fans. We thought we might as well do another one. And while we're doing that, so I know everybody wants to know, Mason, who's winning this damn Tua jersey? <laughs> it's and not us. I can say that. It's, it's not, not us. us. I promise you that. But here's what we're going to do. So... Originally, we had been saying we were going to announce the winner on our Thursday episode, June 25th. What we decided to do is make it a special Fins Up Friday episode, and we're going to kind of center it around our Tua Jersey giveaway. So we're going to be announcing our winner on that Friday episode that's going to come out June 26th. So make sure you catch that. We're going to be doing one more post on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, that you can interact with. And I think it's important, I said this on Twitter earlier, the more posts you interact with, the higher chances you have of winning the two a jersey because each time you interact, that counts as a separate entry. And another cool thing we're doing, and this is really fun, and we're already getting great feedback from the fans. So I'm really, I'm really pumped about it. We have set up a voicemail line for fans to call in and ask questions, give comments, really give fans a voice to the show. And we're gonna try that out on our next Fins Up Friday. And if you leave a voicemail, that will also count as an entry towards winning a free to a jersey. So all you got to do is call the number 804-905-8226. Leave a voicemail, question or comment about the Miami Dolphins, and we will air it live on our Fins Up Friday episode. We've already got a bunch of them coming in, and we're hoping to get more as the week rolls on. 
it's it's been awesome, Riley, not only to get these voicemails, but to hear from where people are calling from. You know, we've gotten some from Canada. Yes. We've gotten some from <laughs> New <crazy>. York. <laughs> it, it's really cool because we've gotten more from people not even in Florida or South Florida uh, than other parts and places around the world. So it's been really cool to see just how strong the Dolphins fan base is and just to get all these these calls from everywhere just to show us that Dolphin fans, they're strong. They're everywhere. Yeah, so it's another jam-packed week of Fin It to Win It. We have tonight's episode, our breakdown of the linebackers, and Finn's up Friday. So we hope everyone had a great Father's Day weekend. Thank you guys so much for interacting with the Tua giveaway uh, post over the weekend. And what was really cool, Mason, before we get into tonight's episode, what was really cool was people started sharing because, you know, it was Father's Day. You know, pictures with their kids and Dolphins gear. It was really an awesome sight. So I was like, Mason... So, so- yeah. Okay. You know I, I should stop. <laughs> yeah. I should stop you right there, but I'm going to let you finish your story. So let continue. me, let me, let me finish Mason. Okay. Let me finish here. So I texted Mason. I was like, Hey man, all these people are sharing these photos. This is awesome. I'm going to post a picture of one of my daughters and me and our dolphins gear. Send me one of you and your daughter. And he, he replies back. I don't have one. I'm like, what? What do you mean you don't have one? What kind of Dolphins fan are you that you can't get your daughter to wear a Dolphins jersey? He said, and this is concerning, I don't know what you're doing over there, Mason, but you got to get it together that she doesn't like wearing the Dolphins Dolphins get up that you get her. So, uh, I mean, are we, is your wife a fan of another team? Is she trending that way or is she just not in? What's the deal, Mason? Because right. we have to get this thing sorted out. All right, let me explain myself. So, one, <laughs> this is 100% a Dolphins household. I would not allow any jersey in here. I don't care if it's the San Francisco 49ers or the Minnesota Vikings. It doesn't Damn matter. Damn straight. Damn straight. There, there's no other fan <laughs> fandom or no other team anybody in this household's ever going to pull for. Um, all right, Riley is telling the truth, though. I did send that to him because it is it is the truth. I've bought several Miami shirts for my daughter. My daughter, just to give you guys an idea, she's not 6 or 10 or 12 or anything like that. She's, she's getting ready to turn 3. So <laughs> she's at the age right now where certain things, I think it's the fabric of the clothing she wears, she just doesn't really like it. And that's what I'm going to kind of pull it down to. I'm going to say that one of the shirts I got her, it's a very kind of like, it's a strange feeling to it. So I think that bothers her. Uh, and the other one, I don't know. She's just not a big fan of wearing them at all. So when Riley asked me to post a picture to send him one, I was like, hey, man, I got to come clean. I, I, <laughs> I, I've bought her Dolphin stuff before. And and listen, when I watch Dolphin games on TV and other sporting events, she gets yeah. into it. She'll say, she'll say, go Miami. And, and you okay. know, I'll cheer and she'll cheer. So. But I will agree with you. I do need to step it up. I need to keep trying different things for her to wear. Her third birthday is actually coming up uh, next month. So I'm glad you kind of put that into my head because that tells me there what I go. need to put the top of her list for a gift. And when I do get that picture with her, I will definitely send it to you, Riley, so you can uh, We're going to post, post it on Twitter. We're going to yes. post it on Twitter immediately. So we're going to call it just a phase and nothing more. Those that yes. have children, they know yes. all about the phases. When one ends, another one starts. I have a four-year-old <laughs> and a one-year-old myself. So I know all about the phases, Mason. So we'll give you a pass this time. Thanks. And I and had I to throw exactly, you under the bus, yes. though, there. <laughs> I knew exactly where you were going with that. As soon as you opened your mouth, I knew exactly what you were going to say. And there was no stopping me. I know you tried to, but hey, what's done is done. It's over. Let's just move on. <laughs> It'll be, not only make me be a better father, but a better Dolphins fan if I continue to get her to try on the different clothes until she likes one. So good. I'm glad you gave me this motivation. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for, Mason. So, all right. We're talking about Chan Gailey tonight. What should Dolphins fans expect 
from a Chan Gailey-led offense. We're going to talk a lot about this with former Dolphins receiver James McKnight. But before we get to that interview, let's give our thoughts, Mason. So I feel like when the Chad O'Shea situation went down, uh, he was let go. That kind of surprised some Dolphins fans, especially how, you know, the team kind of picked up steam towards the end of last year, winning five out of their last nine. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a great stretch since coming back from being benched. Guys like Devontae Parker had a breakout season. Gesicki had a great stretch at the end of the year. So you saw things kind of developing in the trending in the right direction, right? So he's let go, and then they bring in 68-year-old Chan Gailey. So a lot of Dolphins fans were kind of sitting back scratching their head like, really, Chan Gailey? This is kind of an odd move. Why? And I'm not going to lie, I was one of those people as well. But I think this is kind of like an onion, Mason, right? Like you, the more you peel it back, the more and more. And it's like a lot of these Brian Flores, Chris Greer moves. A lot of times you peel the onion back and things just start to make more and more sense. Um, and I think that's kind of the situation here with Chan Gailey. It is, Riley. And not only his age, but the fact that he retired several years ago. So it did have it's been like a three lot years. Of, yeah, it had three or four years. 2016 was his last year uh, being an offensive coordinator for the Jets. It had a lot of Dolphins fans scratching their heads. But if you look back at Chan Gailey's history and he's been coaching for decades, decades, not just 10, not just 20 years for decades in football. So that should really make Dolphins fans nerves calm down a little bit. He's someone who's been through the game for a long time. Yes, he's going to use an offense essentially that he's used for those decades, but he's adapted it along the way, just like he had to adapt it from the 80s to the 90s to the early 2000s. He's had to adapt his offense throughout those times. So I'm not really that worried about him bringing an offense that, oh, he's almost 70 years old. It's going to be an out-of-touch offense. No, I think he's going to add some wrinkles to it. James McKnight's going to address that too. He's going to talk about how he likes to add that trick, the trickery into his offense and how running backs and wide receivers are going to love it. So I think there are a lot of things to like about Gailey's offensive style. And I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited and not nervous. Yeah. So I think the main thing for Dolphins fans when they saw this hiring was, okay, you know, we're a rebuilding team right now. The trend in the NFL is hire the young, hot offensive coordinator. And we bring in a 68 year old guy that's coming out of retirement. I mean, that clearly is not the long-term solution, right? So he's more like a placeholder at this point. But what you have to think about from this perspective is, and Brian Flores has talked about this, why he decided to make the move. One, the Chad O'Shea experiment was not working out in Brian Flores' eyes. It's not the offense that he envisioned when he came into Miami. He wanted to simplify things. We'll get into this a little more in a minute. But he wanted to simplify things, kind of hit the reset button, and just change the style of the offense. So you bring in a guy like Chan Gailey, yeah, he's probably a placeholder. If they get him for a couple of years, um, that's that's a good situation before they kind of make their next move to the next guy. But he's a guy that brings so much to the table in terms of familiarity. So one, he brings the style of offense Brian Flores is looking for. A very college-like, RPO-centered simplified offense. So he's going to fit a lot of the Dolphins currently on the roster, fit a lot of their skill sets. And he has familiarity with a lot of the players already on the team, mainly the starting quarterback, at least projected starting quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. So Ryan and him, they've been at different stops together along the way. Uh, Fitzpatrick has played with them for five years for our, uh, pretty much for our rivals, the Jets and the Bills. 
And all three quarterbacks really should be excited for different reasons. Obviously, you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. He has the experience. He should be excited because he's going to have a leg up in knowing this offense and helping the future starter for the Miami Dolphins in Tua. Tua is going to be excited because also, Riley, you mentioned this. It's a very college-friendly offense. Well, Gailey's offense over the years, it's focused the passing game outside the hashes. Guess who excelled outside the hashes at Alabama and on slants? That's Tua. And then lastly, the third quarterback, that's right, the third quarterback, because he's going to be a big part of this training camp and being there to help each quarterback out, that's Josh Rosen. You mentioned Chad O'Shea's offense not working for some players. Well, Josh Rosen is probably at the top of that list. He was that prime example, right? So Josh Rosen is going to have a chance to also press the reset button to learn a more simplistic offense in a sense, and he's going to get to show that he can maybe run this with some success. So all three quarterbacks for different reasons should be excited that Chan Gailey is their offensive coordinator this season. Yeah, it's a great point, Mason. So you have the familiarity with Fitzpatrick, obviously. He had his most successful seasons under Chan Gailey. Back in 2015, when he was starting for the Jets, he threw for almost 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, 15 picks, a 60% completion rate. You mentioned Tua. He brings a very college-friendly like offense, and we've talked about it a little bit in previous episodes. Tua excelled. He was probably the best pure passer out of the RPO, the run pass option in this draft. He is a master of it. And that's something that's a wrinkle that Chan Gailey brings to this offense. And then it's a great point. Josh Rosen, he was that prime example of why it wasn't working with Chad O'Shea. You have so many young players on the offense and it just, it just wasn't clicking. There was something that just wasn't working. He was either expecting too much or the offense itself was just overall too complex, but guys were just having trouble picking up the system. And, you know, we've heard through reports throughout the offseason that that was a big reason why he was let go. He couldn't adapt his offense to his personnel. And that's exactly the opposite of what Chan Gailey does. He has withstood the test of time, right, Mason? He has evolved through his career. That's why he's lasted. That's why he's been a head coach in either professional football or college for six different teams because he, he evolves his offense around his personnel and not vice versa. Yeah, and speaking of time, Riley, let's go back to the time when Chan Gailey was actually involved in the Miami Dolphins organization. We're going back to the years 2000-2001. He gave the Dolphins that spread look, mainly three wide receiver sets. His offense, they used the spread, early concepts of the run-pass option like you mentioned earlier. I think we're going to see similar things with the Dolphins this year. Like I mentioned, as time passes, offensive coordinators, they're going to add new things, new wrinkles into their plays. We should see a lot of that with Miami Speaking about spread, the Dolphins have a lot of talented wide receivers. They may have durability issues, but they're explosive guys. He can move a lot of those around. James McKnight, someone who you guys are going to listen to in here a little bit with our interview, he was an explosive player for the Dolphins. Definitely a home run hitter. The Dolphins have similar receivers like that with that skill set coming into this team. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that really fit what Chan Gailey's trying to do. And I mentioned Tua, so how he fits the RPO and what he did at Alabama. So I have a couple stats I want to drop on you, Mason. All right, so drop them. In 2018, that was the last season where Tua played a full season, so we'll use those stats. Tua passed 51% of his RPO plays in 2018, the highest percentage among college football quarterbacks. And when he was running the RPO, Alabama's offense ranked number one in yards per play. Number Good one. Number. Best in the country. Yeah, that's a that's a number that I like a lot. <laughs> and then including you mentioned the, well, including the number of uh, Tua as well. 
Oh, there you go. I like the connection. Yeah, and you then go. you look at Chan Gailey. So I went back and looked at his last stop with the New York Jets. So in 2015, Chan Gailey, he liked to spread it out, like you mentioned, Mason. He used at least three wide receivers 89% of the time and at least four wide receivers over half the time. In 2016, he used at least three wide receivers 86% of the time and four wide receivers just under 50% of the time. So very similar in terms of the numbers, but basically what I'm trying to say is don't expect a lot of two tight end sets <laughs> from the Miami Dolphins this year. Don't expect to see Mike Gesicki playing with his hand in the dirt on the line. You're going to be seeing a lot of three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver sets, and I'm pretty sure that Mike Gesicki is going to be one of those guys. I agree, Riley. And in 2001, there were times in examples where Chan Gailey did use the double tight ends, but with those stats there, it does show that he's not going to do it a lot. You know, he's going to be using guys. He's going to be setting them in motion in the backfield, lining them up as outside receivers. And that's something that we are going to have to be excited with Mike Kosicki. The fact that he is going to probably be utilized moving around the field. We've mentioned this on several shows with Mike Kosicki because the way he ended last year and how he's coming into this year, he's definitely not only a breakout player candidate, but someone that the Dolphins are really, really hoping can take that next step in his evolution and becoming a top five tight end in this league. We talked about how there's not many great examples of tight ends really flourishing in this Chan Gailey offense. If you look back at his last previous stops, let's go with the jets. He was at the jets before he retired for three seasons or so New York jets, tight ends. His last season caught 18 passes for 173 yards with zero touchdowns. Now Yikes. that's combined. <laughs> no, it, that's combined. That's combined. Now, I'm, I'm going to keep going further. When he was a head coach in Buffalo, Bills tight ends combined for 47 catches, 584 yards, and eight touchdowns in 2012, 44 catches, 427 yards, six touchdowns in 2011, and they combined for 23 catches, 287 yards, and one touchdown in 2010. Now, if we want to go back even further, when he was with the Dolphins in 2000, 2001, Dolphins tight ends combined for 16 catches, 250 yards, and one touchdown in 2000, and 22 catches, 242 yards, and one touchdown in 2001. So not very eye-popping stats, but we've mentioned this before. Has he had the talent of a Mike Isicki on a previous team he's coached? No, he is not. I don't think we should be that worried about it. I don't think he's going to look at Mike Isicki and say, oh, yeah, he's talented, but I'm going to ignore him. No, there are other players on those teams who are going to do more with the ball than the tight ends. There were more dynamic players on those teams who are going to score touchdowns and who are going to move the chains. That may not be the case with the Dolphins this year. Mike Isicki is definitely someone who can move the chains and score touchdowns. So – Pretty much summarizing that, Riley, I yes, the writing is on the wall that he doesn't like to feature tight ends, but he hasn't had a tight end like Mike Isicki and his talent. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit when we were diving into the depth chart for the tight ends. He hasn't had a great track record with tight ends, but you mentioned that word dynamic. You have to go back all the way to 2008 when Tony Gonzalez hauled in 96 catches for 1,058 yards and 10 touchdowns. Since then, he just really hasn't had that receiving type of tight end like a Mike Gesicki. So it's kind of like what we talked about a little bit earlier. We're looking at a coach that doesn't try to fit a player and his skill sets into a scheme. He's a guy that's going to adapt his scheme around the skill sets of his players. And I think Mike Gesicki is a perfect example of that. Yeah, just don't think of him as a tight end. Think of him as your second or third receiving option and make the most of his talents because we saw towards the end of last year 
what he's capable of doing. So I think the trajectory, if you look at it that way, is positive. It's just, you know, making sure Chan Gailey uses him in the right ways. I don't think there's going to be many players on this offense who are going to uh, get worse because of Chan Gailey. I think they're going to excel even more. I think the wide receivers are going to love him, especially the wide receivers with the Dolphins skill set and how we have a lot of guys with speed, a lot of agility. I think the running backs are uh, going to surely love him. Oh my Lord. They have, they have to be thrilled to have him as the offensive coordinator, Matt Breeder and Jordan Howard. They bring two different things, but they do both things very well. I'm really excited to see them in this offense, probably more than anybody to see what they can do in his style of offense. Yeah. And we talked about the running back situation. Of course, we've, said it over and over again last year, just how abysmal they were at running the football. So anything is an upgrade over what we had last year. Obviously, you know, the personnel has been upgraded at running back on the offensive line, but still, if you look at track records, so while tight end is an area where you're a little bit concerned about Chan Gailey and how he utilizes his tight ends, running back is not that case at all. This is an offensive coordinator that gets the most out of his running back. So if you look back at his time with the Jets, At his time with the Bills, you're talking about guys like C.J. Spiller back in 2012. You know, he was a pretty good back, but I think in terms of where he was drafted, kind of considered an underachiever in terms of his NFL career. But in 2012, with Chan Gailey, he had over 1,200 yards, six touchdowns, over six yards per carry, and he caught 459 receiving yards for two touchdowns. Best season of his career, and that was under Chan Gailey. He had Chris Ivory in 2015 with the Jets, Chris Ivory ran for over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns, and made the Pro Bowl. I mean, Chris Ivory was a you know a decent running back, but he was not a Pro Bowl running back. And Chan Gailey turned Chris Ivory into a Pro Bowler. So when you look at the track record of running backs, especially at his recent stops, there's a lot of positives to take from that situation. There really is. And fans shouldn't expect those similar stats with Matt Breed and Jordan Howard, especially if they're both healthy and they're both having their normal amount of playing time. But you can definitely expect that progression from the running game, especially if the offensive line can gel and they can stay healthy as well. You're going to see the yards per carry go up. You're going to see the catches out of the backfield be very solid for not only Matt Breida, but Jordan Howard, who's also a good pass catching back as well. So I'm I'm really excited to see what they can do. Chan Gailey's track record speaks for itself. This offseason, though, is going to be different. You know, the players are not going to be together as much right now. They're doing yeah. video yeah. chats uh, to learn this offense. But the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been under Chan Gailey for five seasons at two different spots really makes me feel good. And it also not to really tip the hat or anything, but it also makes me think even more the more I think about it, that he is going to be the opening day starting quarterback because of his experience with this offensive coordinator. You know one thing that really stood out to me, Mason, when I was going back and looking at players and their performances under Chan Gailey? And we talked about this a little bit in the wide receiver breakdown. So in 2015 with the New York Jets, Chan Gailey had two 1,000-yard receivers in the same season. Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker. Brandon Marshall had over 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, and Decker had 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. Wow. If you look yeah. back, if you, yeah, wow. If you look back at the Miami Dolphins history, and we mentioned this on our breakdown of the wide receivers, the Dolphins have not had a pair of 1,000 yard receivers in the same season since 1991 with the Marks brothers. So it's been a minute since the Dolphins have had that type of production from two 
wide receiver. So he obviously is very wide receiver friendly, and we're going to talk about that with James McKnight. So, and that's just one example. I mean, he has, you know, when it comes to the running back position and it comes to the wide receiver position, I mean, this guy made Steve Johnson a perennial, <laughs> a perennial <laughs> pro bowler, a thousand yard receiver with the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, Steve Johnson's a good wide receiver, but, but is Steve Johnson really that guy that comes to mind when you think of multiple thousand yard receiver year in and year out? No, he's not a guy that jumps to my mind. So he makes the most out of his player's skill sets and gets the most production he can out of them. And yeah, Riley, it should boil down to this. A calling card for an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator should be to make your players better, to put them in the right situation to where they're going to score more, they're going to improve more, and they're going to show on the stat sheet that they're having a better season. So great example with that. And I'm hoping that Chan Gilly can do the same thing, taking some of that, that crowded receiver group we've been talking about. There's a lot of players on the hot seat. Jakeem Grant, possibly Isaiah Ford. Preston Williams is come, not to say he's on the hot seat, but he's coming off an injury. There's a lot of guys who really need to have a big step up season. So hopefully with Shane Gailey under the helm as the offensive coordinator, those receivers can start to see their numbers and their time on the field flourish. Another thing is Devontae Parker. When you think of Parker, especially in his breakout season last year, you think of him running, you know, go routes down the field outside the hashes and making spectacular catches. Obviously he can do that, but He's been on record, Mason, for saying that his favorite route to run is a slant. Yeah. A key route when it comes to the RPO. So, like, people that don't really know much about the run-pass option, basically what you're looking at is the quarterback is making one read of the linebacker and safety, and from there he's deciding where to go with the ball. This is not going to be an offense where you see a lot of five, seven-step drops. You're going to see a lot of decisions made quickly at the line, one read, that's why it's, when we talk about simplifying it, it makes it a lot easier for the quarterback to grasp. So you make that one read, so you know if you're running it or you're passing it, and you are getting rid of the ball quick. So slants are a major component of that. So I think Devontae Parker, a lot of people may be like, well, you know, if they're not going deep quite as often, how is that going to affect Parker? Hey, Parker says himself that slants are his favorite, <laughs> his favorite route to run, and that's a major, major part of the concept of an RPO uh, system. It's easy to see, Riley, too, why the slant is his favorite route to run. If you go back, look at the game film, look at his highlights, you can see how well he does that, especially in the latter part of the year against some of those Pro Bowl defensive backs. He was running it to perfection. He's got great hands. I'm excited to see him run that route more in this offense. Yeah, so guys that really can make things happen in space, get the ball in their hands like an Albert Wilson, if he can stay healthy, this is the perfect type of offense for Albert Wilson. Get the ball in his hands quick get him in space, and let him make plays with his legs. So we're excited to see what Chan Gailey can do with the Miami Dolphins offense this season. And we're also excited to talk to former Dolphins receiver James McKnight and ask him about his experiences playing under Chan Gailey. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, everyone, a quick read from our sponsor, Bet Online. Riley, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports, they're slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is the leading way with the best odds and lines for all the UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have those simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day long, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. So what are you guys waiting for? Visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 
All right, we're excited to be joined now here on Fin It to Win It by former NFL wide receiver James McKnight. James played in the NFL for nine seasons, including three of those with the Miami Dolphins. And he played with current Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey, during his time with the Dolphins and a season with the Cowboys. So, James, we're excited to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. Before we get started, I know we, we just were discussing it a little bit, but before we get into all this great football talk, just how, how are you guys holding up, your family down in, down in South Florida? I know you said you have a couple kids that are graduating. So how is everybody, how is everybody doing down there dealing with the COVID-19 situation and dealing with graduations? I'm sure it's a, sure it's a strange time for your family. <laughs> it, it is. You know, like I was sharing with you guys, I have a fifth grader that's, you know, moving on to middle school. I have an eighth grader moving on to high school, and I have a high school senior you know, going out into the real world. And uh, we're just adjusting, you know, every, everyone is going through it. You know, we're doing drive-by graduation, online graduations, you know, everybody getting used to this new normal. Um, so we're just trying to adjust accordingly and, and just keep the main thing um, in, in front of us. And that's to, to stay healthy and, and to, you, you know, to know that, you know, things will get better, but it's going to take some time. So we're, we're, we're in it for the long haul. Sure. And actually, James, with our first question, let's stick with school. Let's focus on college football. You played your college football at Liberty University, a smaller yes. school where only a handful of players made it to the NFL. So that's a pretty awesome accomplishment from you to go from Liberty to make it to the NFL. What was your experience like playing there? And can you maybe discuss a little bit what your draft process was like back then as you were preparing for the NFL? Um, well, it wasn't, you know, this widespread um recruiting, you know, portals that these kids are, you know, ESPN, top 300, 500, none of that stuff was going on at that particular time. Um, but I played for Sam Ritigliano, who was a NFL coach with the Cleveland Browns. Um, so he was in, you know, had been there a couple seasons. Uh, he came down, recruited me out of uh, Apopka, Florida. Um, I had some academic issues and uh, he, he made a promise to my mom that if I wasn't getting kicked out and go to school that he didn't, he didn't care how long it took me to graduate that he would pay for my education if I would stay committed to it. So um, he was the first, you know, real man that I, I was able to trust outside of, you know, leaving my mom's household. And I think the rest was history. You know, he put everything in me to give me opportunity to play at the next level. And um, I didn't get drafted. I entered the NFL as a free agent. And his son, which was on staff at Liberty University, actually represented me as my agent um, on my first year um, NFL contract because they knew some of the um, guys at IMG that later ended up um, being my agents. Yeah, so Mason and I, Mason and I were uh, kind of, you know, looking up your history, your playing career, and we thought it was pretty cool because, believe it or not, Mason and I are both from Virginia. We're both, I guess, <laughs> Liberty is kind of right in between us, Mason, right here in Virginia. Uh, we oh, went wow. to school, yeah, we went to school in Southwest, so we thought that was pretty cool. But speaking of being an undrafted rookie, so you go into Seattle, and I wanted to ask you this because I kind of correlated to Preston Williams, the undrafted receiver for the Dolphins last year, coming in. Yep. Um, he has a great season before he got injured, but. I was just curious, you being an undrafted rookie going into a situation, can you talk about the pressures that are on you? Like, you, you know, you have the advantage, obviously, of being able to choose where you go, the situation you're going into. But at the same time, you know, you have a lot to prove to make the squad and you were able to make a successful NFL career out of it. So can you kind of talk about just 
that feeling of being an undrafted rookie, the pressures and just kind of that mentality you had to have to, you know, make the team and, you know, pursue your NFL career? Um, yeah, I mean, I was I came into a situation, um, a fortunate situation in Seattle. Um, they didn't draft any wide receivers my rookie year. Um, they brought in some free agents from some other teams and things like that, but they didn't make any any moves as a, for a wide receiver in the draft. So um, me and another guy um, out of Louisiana somewhere, um, we were the two rookies that they brought into camp. They only had two rookie wide receivers. Um, and at the time, he had great hands. He had much better hands than I did um, for as catching, you know, skills with the football. But I had an intangible that he didn't possess is when I got the ball on my hands, I was electric with it. And so they went with potential versus, you know, someone that could be a possession receiver, you know, and obviously I developed into that uh, working with Brian Blades and later, later, a couple of years later, Ricky Prohl and Mike Pritchard. Um, so I had some, some, some stud guys that was in front of me that was some veterans that really taught me the game. Um, but the pressure is, is really on you. You know, um, my first year uh, I was drafted by, I mean, I was brought to, to Seattle by um, Tom Flores. And after my rookie year, the, the very next week, they fired the whole coaching staff. Oh, wow. And they brought, wow. In, they brought in Dennis Erickson out of the University of Miami. I was only on a one-year contract because I spent my first 10 weeks of my rookie season on the practice squad. And then um, the defensive coordinator was, was talking to the head coach and was saying, hey, you know, this, this young rookie is giving my starting defense the business, you know, in practice you know, you need to take a shot at him. And so they, I, I got an opportunity the last six weeks of the season to move up on the roster. And, you know, I got accredited season and got opportunities to play a lot on special teams, very few snaps on, on offense. But that was kind of the, the thing that um, put inside me that, hey, you, you know, with hard work, you know, you, you got a chance to make it a, a career, not just have a, a opportunity. You know, I wasn't looking for an opportunity. I wanted to be stick around and you know, I stuck around for 11 years total with no, no complaints whatsoever. So, James, in your career, you got to play with uh, several different teams. Uh, after Seattle, you went to Dallas for one season where you actually almost put up 1,000 yards receiving. But maybe what was more impressive than what you did with almost getting up 1,000 yards was that you did it with playing with three different quarterbacks that season with Troy Aikman, Randall Cunningham, and Anthony Wright. Can you maybe go into detail – how difficult that was to adjust your game to three QBs during the stretch of just one season? Well, it was a bigger story than that. Um, the first year, uh, I was there two years, but I blew my knee out in training camp in 1999. And so I was coming off a total reconstructed knee surgery um, in 99 in the 2000 season. Um, and the Dallas Cowboys, they traded for Joy Galloway. So both Seattle receivers in back-to-back -back years was in, in Dallas at the time. Joey Galloway blows his knee out in the first game of the season, and I end up coming in and replacing him for the, for the remainder of the season and end up being the, the, the leader on the team at, at receiving. And I just, I just think it was opportunities that because I was coming off a knee injury, I got to work with Clint in training camp. I got to work with um, Anthony Wright in training camp and preseasons, um, you know, display and things like that. And so, um, you know, Troy Aikman was, you know, we, 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 we can't say enough about him, man. He just throw a ball that's, that's so pretty, man. If you, yeah. if you drop that thing, it's, it'll be disappointing. <laughs> um, but he made life easy. You know, Emmitt Smith and 
you know, um, at the time, my, my first year there, Dion and all those guys, Moose Johnson, um, they just kind of showed me how to practice, how to approach the game of football. And, uh, man, it was just, you know, it was, I took some valuable nuggets there that, that kind of shaped me uh, for my time in Miami. I think it's curious that you bring up Joey Galloway, and I want to ask you this. You mentioned how you described yourself as electric after you caught the ball. So I'm curious, I'm curious, if there is a foot race between James McKnight and Joey Galloway, who's winning that, James? Because we all know Joey Galloway prides himself on how quick and fast he says he is. <laughs> Listen, that in, in, in all of my life, you know, when I became into, you know, my speed, Joey Galloway is the only football teammate that I could not be running. You're talking about electric. His first 10 to 15 yards in, the, in a 40-yard dash is just unmatched by, by many. I mean, he could literally, you know, run the 55 meters with the, you know, the um, Coleman out of Tennessee and all, all these guys mm-hmm. that, that Justin Gatlin. Um, Joey, Joey Galloway could hold his own with those guys. Um, but he was electric, you know. But after the first 15 yards, you know, that's where I was. I was more on the back end, I, you know, our game. Um, but we didn't, we didn't move. We raced several times. Uh, he'll jump out on me by a couple yards, and then we kind of stay in that position all the way through the, you know, the 40 or even the 100-yard dash. I couldn't make a move on him. He, he didn't leave me, but, man, he was electric. Well, I have to say, if, you, if you're beating everybody except Joey Galloway, so you're coming in second to only Joey Galloway, that's something to be proud of right there. That's pretty <laughs> damn good. <laughs> I'll leave this one with you. We had Rocket Ishmael, Joy Galloway, James McKnight, and another guy named Wayne McGarity out of um, out of the out of the University of Texas. I uh-huh. mean, we had a four by one that probably could have went to the Olympic trials, no doubt. Yeah, it sounds like it. Is there a receiver throughout your career that you played alongside that you say you learned the most from? Uh, Brian Blades and Ricky Froll. Um, Ricky Froll, you know. Um, was not a very fast receiver, um, but I was that receiver that, you know, had all the speed, and I used to try to run all my routes full speed, and Ricky, Ricky kind of took me on his wing and kind of, you know, let me know that, hey, man, you can't do this thing full speed, you know, but you got to control yourself. And so what I would do, I would line up behind Brian Blaze. I would line up behind Ricky Pro every day in practice, and whatever tempo they ran their routes, I ran at that same tempo. Um, knowing that once I got the ball in my hand, I, I had the speed to accelerate. And those guys really was the ones. And, and then I got to add Mike Pritchard in there too. Mike Pritchard had some releases, man, that will, I mean, make you, make you fall, out of, fall out of your shoes, man. He, he was so, so quick off the line, but he was just subtle. Wasn't fast, but he, he just had a, a, a way of releasing. Um, so I, just, I learned so much from those guys. Um, but at the end of the day, I always talk to the guys now, I was teachable. Um, I didn't come mm-hmm. in, you know, with speed. I was faster than these guys. So I w- it wasn't arrogance um, about the way I, I approached football. I was a sponge. And I just soaked up everything that those guys, those guys had to tell me. And, uh, man, I, I made a career for myself. So, James, let's focus on your time playing with the Miami Dolphins and working with Chan Gailey. What was it like playing for Chan Gailey, not only as the offensive coordinator with the Dolphins, but a head coach when you were with the Cowboys? Um, well, he was a head, he was an offense coordinator in, in Dallas as well. So he was both the head coach and the offense coordinator. Um, but Chan just, you know, he liked my work ethic. He liked the fact that I, you know, that I practiced hard. I played hard. Um, I was available. It was nothing that he, 
wouldn't tell me to do that I, I wasn't able to do. So I played in, you know, in, in multiple um, positions. Um, coming out the backfield, you know, he would toss me the ball out the backfield. I mean, he tried to find any way possible um, to get the best athletes on, on, on the football team, the ball in their hands. Um, and he, he runs an offense that's very receiver and running back friendly. Um, these guys going to love playing in this offense. And, and at the end of the day, he's an offensive-minded guy. Um, so you're going to, you know, at, as a wide receiver, you know he's putting in the game plan to, to throw the football. And so that gets you excited, you know, and, and you think you, you know, you rival the guys, you know, in, um, in uh, L.A. with the greatest show on turf because Chan is putting the ball in the air. Mm -hmm. he, he's going to throw the ball. He's going to give you opportunities to make plays. Um, he adjusts very well um, to what the defenses are trying to take away in mid-game. So I, I'm looking forward to the Miami Dolphins to take a, a, a big leap forward in the offensive passing game. There's a couple interesting things that you've said there. First, you, you mentioned that you were teachable. And I think one of the things when you talk about Chan Gailey that everyone seems – it comes up over and over again is that he's a great teacher. Um, on the football field. It's a big reason why Brian Flores brought him into the Miami Dolphins. And just, you also mentioned putting players in the right spots, getting the most out of their talent. So it's not that you have to necessarily uh, fit within his system. It's that he adapts his system to his players. So that kind of sounds like it was the same deal when you played for him back in the early 2000s. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the position he put me in, in the Miami, with the Miami Dolphins was the position he put the Rocket Ishmael in mm -hmm. at, at the Dallas Cowboys. So I knew the system. I, you know, once you learn this system, then you're able to kind of be a, a player coach on the field, you know. And if players are out of position because you know the whole offense, you can kind of make up for it on the fly and run the play and no one knows that you weren't supposed to be at that position or, or, or anything like that. So when you have a coach that trusts you on the field, they, they trusted me with Chris Chambers, you know, being a, a, a big influence on his, his life. Um, um, they trusted me to coach him, you know, so, so he wouldn't get beat down. And Chris flourished, you know, through his career because they allowed me to, to coach him as a, as a player versus coaches getting on him, you know, when he needed to make adjustments. So, um, Chen and, and Coach Ford, they gave me that um, that uh, versatility as a as a, a player um, in my own right. So I, I just I just appreciate him uh, for just trusting in me and believing in me and putting the ball in my hands the way he did. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's the veteran for the Dolphins right now. He's actually has great experience playing under Chan Gailey. He played with him in Buffalo and in the New York for the Jets. We don't know when Tua is going to take the field, but from your knowledge and your past watching Tua play in college, how do you think he's going to do eventually operating this offense under Changeli? You know, when I look at Tua, he, he reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson and a player with some mobility. You know, uh, Jay Fieler was very successful in under Chan's offense because he was mobile. Uh, Chan do a lot of, lot of play action. He do a lot of things that, you know, kind of trickery with the ball. And I think that, you know, Fitz Magic, you know, he fits the build and, and, and able to make those adjustments. And I see Tool, you know, doing the same things, you know, that, that he did at, at the University um, of Alabama, you know, being able to make plays with his legs as, as well as with the, um, throwing from different angles um, from, the, from the football field. So I think they both will, will thrive um, in Chan's offense. 
Um, I'm looking forward to the young guy making the field. Um, no, no slight for Fitz, you know, um, Fitzpatrick, because he, he's been, you know, holding the Dolphins down for several years. So, um, you know, hopefully he continues that prowess, but at the same time get, get you know, the next franchise guy in, in tour ready for, for his career. So if that's a year or two down the road, I'm willing to wait because I want to see a better product than what we've seen the last couple of years on the football field. I love that mindset, James. Riley and I, we've talked about that a lot in our last few shows. Just the waiting is the most important part. You don't want to rush Tua out there, especially with the medical history and the fact that Miami's going to have such a young offensive line. So we're right there with you with that. You did mention Chan Gailey using a lot of trickery. I was just curious, was there anything that you guys ever worked on in practice that was like, wow, this is a pretty crazy play, but you maybe never got to run it in a game. Anything that you can remember? Um, we we always had things. I mean, I I was the gadget guy, so I was running all the reverses. I was running the, you know, the trick plays, um, reverse passes to Chris Chambers and uh, Rundy Gasson. We we had a lot of things in in play. Um, some Dolphin fans might not want to hear this, but you know, we we had a we had a guy by the name of Dave Wanstead that was just, you know, not a big risk taker. Mm-hmm. And so we put a lot of things in, in the packages on during the week. And, you know, we come into the game on Sunday and, you know, you know, eight to 10 plays have been taken out of the package. And so we're, we're kind of, you know, shorthanded with some of the things that we actually worked on. And so we're, we were looking very generic out there when we had this big robust plan especially to attack, you know, people like the New England Patriots and the, and the New York Jets. Um, when we got to those games, man, he just – he kind of just tightened up and he didn't, he, didn't let, he didn't let the dogs out, man. We needed him to let the dogs out. <laughs> so I, I hate to open up old wounds, but on our last <laughs> show we were talking about some of the toughest Dolphins moments we went through. And the one that came to mind for me was back in 2002 when you guys were 9-5 and five, you ended the season on two straight road games and just heartbreaking losses. Uh, you mentioned New England. Oh, that game at New England when we had the double-digit yep. lead. And yep. I hate to bring up the past again, but you mentioned Dave Wanstead not being a risk-taker. Man, that fourth quarter, so many things went wrong for you guys. It, it, it was tough. Well, I, I just think that, you know, that was a classic case, you know. And, and it happened several times during the year. Uh, Dave was, you know, enamored with his defense, you know, and obviously we had a great defense with, you know, Sam, Pat, and, you know, Zach and JT and them over there. So we, we had a great defense, but he put a little too much um, uh, trust in the defense because it was, it was times that we could have blown New England out. I mean, they literally couldn't stop us on offense or the Jets, they couldn't stop us. And then we would get this big lead and then we just run with Ricky. And, you know, Ricky was like, you know, why, why are we running the ball, you know, when they can't stop the pass? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it, it, just, it just made us, you know, we, we was literally frustrated on the, on the sideline that didn't want to mutiny on the sideline. Um, but a lot of the guys that, that we just, you know, it was hard to trust him in those situations because he, he always would talk about the defense going to win it in the last two minutes of the game. And my thing is, is that, okay, you know, you, you're going to be out there playing with the, the, the GOAT in the fourth quarter. You know, he's, he's you know, shown us lately how good he is in the fourth quarter. But I, I, we felt those things early in the early 2000s that this guy, you cannot give him opportunities and time on the clock. 
and uh, he bit us in the butt a, a, a lot that season, and, and it cost us some playoff, a playoff um, appearance. You did make the playoffs the year before, right? In 2001, you had that playoff run. So I want to ask you on a positive note, because Mason's negative <laughs> here, I want to be positive. What is something from that season, that 11-5 and five season, that really stands out in your mind making that playoff run with the Miami Dolphins? Is there something that really stands, whether it's a game, something that happened off the field, in the locker room, whatever it may be, something that just stands out to you from that, from that playoff run you guys had? Um, I think one of the biggest things for me um, was Junior Seau. Um, another thing was um, my my um, teammate um, that I came in to Seattle with as a rookie, uh, Lamar Smith, was the running back. Um, so to be reunited with Lamar and to see him, you know, run the ball the way he did uh, and connect with him to do it, do it on the field, things that we dreamed of in Seattle but never was able to, to get there. Um, I think playing with him was a, a true highlight. Um, and also just, just you know, coming to a, a place where, where, you know, you're a leader in the locker room. You know, I was a player rep, uh, you know, I was a player rep for the, for the team. But also, you know, just I had young guys and, you know, like Randy McMichaels and the Chris Chambers and Travis Minor. And, you know, I had a lot of guys that was looking up to me during my time there. So uh, it, I just took that, you know, um, that those opportunities, you know, we made some had some magic moments. You know, Chris Chambers had an exception, exceptional year that year. And I'd never been so proud of, of a guy that, that, you know, made the most of those opportunities. So uh, we're still the, the best of friends to this day, um, but it, it was all from that 2001 season. So James, we'll get you out of here on this last question. And it's an important one because last week on our Twitter page, we posted a question about which orange jersey that the Dolphins featured <laughs> did the fans like the most. So um, it was close. It was between the early 2000s orange one, which you wore for the yeah. Dolphins, and then the, yeah. uh, the kind of creamsicle one they wore a few years ago for a Thursday night football. The early 2000s one was the most popular one. Now, I wanted to ask you, because not <laughs> only were you guys privileged enough to wear that for the first time, you actually caught the first – touchdown passer scored the first points in those jerseys I still remember that 80 yard touchdown from uh, from greasy to you against the Redskins uh, what were your thoughts about those jerseys uh, you know I don't know if they stood the test of time but I remember when they came out they were a big deal because there weren't a lot of alternate jerseys back then and honestly throughout the years Miami had great luck wearing them you know I thought those jerseys was fire um, if everyone on the offense, I don't know about the defense, but everyone on offense, you know, we wanted to wear them several times through the year. And they, they always had these little themes and bringing in the throwback. But my thing is that, listen, you know, um, that old Deion Sanders phrase, you know what I'm saying? You look good, you play good, <laughs> there you, you go. play good, you play good. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yep. So it's like, okay, if we're feeling good in this uniforms, man, don't break the mold. You know, keep keep the fire going. The fans was, was responding to it very well. Um, but I think we may have played in it maybe twice. But I, I remember that Washington game. I remember scoring down the sideline. Remember, you know, accelerating uh, very, very fast <laughs> down the sideline. Uh, my kids watch that that um, highlight all the time on on uh, social media. Someone, someone posted it out there. Uh, but it's a great highlight, great memory. Um, but those jerseys are fire. Yeah, Mason and I are big proponents of bringing back the old school Dolphins jerseys full time. We just love the throwback jerseys that they wear from time to time these recent years. So I think we also need to add in there now 
for James McKnight and those early Dolphins, those early 2000 Dolphins. Let's bring back those orange alternates uh, sometimes because those were fire. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and tell them if they're going to, you know, they're going to bring back those little cream sickles, man, that then make them be delivered on the, on the field by the ice cream truck. That's, the only thing <laughs> that's, a, that's like a popsicle, man. Put them things away for, for good and bring yeah. back those retro jerseys. You make Couldn't such a good more. point because either people loved them from our Twitter poll, people have either loved them or they absolutely hated them. And I think more people hated them than loved them. So uh, yeah, if, that, it was not a good look, man. Yeah. So, all right, James. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Finit to Win It. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for all sharing all the great memories and obviously playing under Chan Gailey. We're really looking forward to uh, seeing what Coach Gailey can bring. A lot of fans, you know, they say, yeah, he's 68 years old. What's he going to bring? But I think, you know, and you kind of alluded to it throughout the conversation here, he's just stood the test of time because he's evolved. Um, and he's kind of was ahead of his time, wasn't he, in terms of bringing in a lot of RPOs, um, just spreading yeah. the field out more and being, like you said, very pass-happy a great system for wide receivers. So I think that's kind of why he stood the test of time. Well, I, I, I will leave you with this. I think Chan Galen is a beautiful mind, and I think the Dolphin fans is going to uh, love what he brings to the table. We, we won't lose games because of his um, preparation. If we lose games, it's, it's because of execution from an offensive standpoint. So he's a beautiful mind, and I think we're in for a treat this year. Yeah, we're excited to see what him and the rest of the Miami Dolphins – can do on the field this season. A lot of great pieces they brought in. Obviously, Tua, they upgraded the offensive line. So there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Miami Dolphins fan. So thank you, James. Thanks for sharing the memories. We hope to have you on sometime in the future. Um, and take care. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, guys. Be blessed, man. Thank you for having me. All right. So once again, another thank you to former Miami Dolphins receiver James McKnight for joining us. Mason, he gave some great insight, some stories, and his experiences playing with Chan Gailey. So it was a lot of fun talking to him. But I think the most important thing to take from this conversation is he is in favor of the early 2000s orange jerseys over the creamsicles, as you call them. He called them, quote, fire. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I agree with him. I know over time, you know, they're not as popular as they once were, but I still like them. I love watching those old clips and the highlights of the Dolphins playing in them. And I would not be opposed if the Dolphins did bring those back for a game every now and then. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins played well with them on. He certainly played well with them on. I mean, he's running for, what, 80-yard touchdown. So, of course, he's going to like the orange <laughs> throwback jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would think so. But as you mentioned, Riley, great interview. James McKnight really gave us a sense of what we're going to be seeing next year from Chan Gailey. Had a ton of high praise for him, too, and some really cool stories as well. So we're excited to see the offense this season under Chan Gailey. And we're excited to possibly get James McKnight back on the show. He did an awesome job. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with him throughout the season. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Finit to Win It. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Just a couple of quick housekeeping reminders. If you haven't yet, you still have time. Get involved in our Tua Jersey giveaway. We're putting out a post, one more post this week, that you can interact with on our social media accounts at Finit to Win It on Facebook and Twitter, so do that. And for our Fins Up Friday, we want you to call into the show and leave a voicemail with your question or comment. We'll air it live on the show, and that's going to count as an additional entry to win a free to a jersey. That number is 804-905-8226. Thank you to everyone who has submitted a voicemail so far. We hope they keep rolling in throughout the week so we can play them back on our Fins Up Friday later this week. So 
That's going to wrap it up. That's going to do it for us here at Fin It to Win It. For Mason, I'm Riley. We hope everyone has a great week. Until next time, fins up, everybody.